Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, here today with Heather Jackson, the former pro triathlete and current pro trail runner and gravel racer who is taking the off-road endurance world by storm right now. Heather is, of course, just coming off an amazing second place finish at the Black Canyon 100K, finishing just behind Free Trail Zone, Keely Henninger under the previous course record in just her second ever trail ultramarathon. It was incredible. We talk all about the race, of course, but we also talk about Heather's personal and professional renaissance, moving from triathlon to gravel and to trail running, obviously. We talk specifically about gravel cycling and the gravel scene in general for a bit. We talk about her novel approach to training, her racing strategy, and of course, we look ahead towards Western states in the summer. It was a joy to have Heather on the show. I hope you guys all enjoy the conversation. As always, a big thank you to Speedland, the presenting sponsor of the Free Trail Podcast and the makers of the new GS Tam, my signature trail shoe built to go the distance, but versatile enough and fast enough for your shorter days or your interval sessions. One thing that I think is especially important to emphasize is the durability of this shoe. The first prototype of the GS Tam that I tested many months ago accumulated more than 600 miles before Dave and Kevin took them back for me. I have two pairs in my rotation now, each with over 400 miles on them. I use them every single day and there isn't an end in sight. They've still got tons of life and hundreds of miles left. So obviously the product is premium, but it's also a great value. The shoe is retailing for $275, but our beloved Free Trail podcast listeners can use Free Trail 10 for 10% off your pre-order, dropping it under $250 total. Runspeedland.com. And of course, our beloved Free Trail Pro members get an even deeper discount, which is a great reason to join. Speaking of which, we are publishing several new 16 and 20 week training plans for various distances very soon on freetrail.com. We have a member only podcast hosted by Ellie Pell and Katie Asmith called Rest Day, which they do every single Monday. We have weekly office hour Zoom call every Wednesday at 11:30 a.m. Pacific. Actually, this week we're hosting the amazing Stephanie Case for office hours led by longtime community leader Matthew Hoadley. And of course, we have the Free Trail Slack workspace, the best place on the internet for animated trail community and animated trail conversation for athletes of all levels. We also have our women's group, the Free Trail Femmes, led by Corinne Chalvoy. We have a weekly mental health Zoom call, also led by OG Matthew Hoadley. It's uh, really a remarkable community that's taken on a beautiful life of its own, and we'd love to have you part of it. Membership is only $10 a month or $96 for the year, and there is a free trial. So come check it out. Link in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the episode. Heather Jackson, welcome to the podcast. Nice to see you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> I was just saying to you, I've followed you for such a long time because I'm actually, I've never participated in a triathlon, but I'm a massive fan of the sport. I follow all the athletes. And so I've been a long time admirer of yours. And I was just telling you also that about a hundred people recently have sent me messages on Instagram and stuff just saying, you got to get Heather on the podcast. So... <laughs> You're going to be making a lot of people happy, and I'm glad you could come on the show. 
Oh my gosh, no, I appreciate it. I feel honored to be on here. I was telling you, yeah, we listened to all of them, especially on our van road trip. So, and similarly, the other way, I mean, you are literally one of the first trail runners I ever followed um, since a long, long time ago when you and I connected a long time ago yeah. on uh, an altitude. Yep, <laughs> so. yep. Yeah, it's been probably like 10 years since that original connection that we had. And anyway, it's uh, it'll be fun to just go long form with you here and sort of touch on all the different aspects of your career and your future. And uh, I think there's just so many different avenues of this conversation could go. So we'll try and keep the, the train on the rails, so to speak. But I just recorded a podcast with Tom Evans yesterday, who was the second place finisher in the men's race at Black Canyon over the weekend. And we started by talking about Anthony Costales, the men's champion. And so I figured maybe we'd do the same thing with you. I wondered if maybe you'd say a few words about Keely Henninger, the time that you guys shared out on the trail and any interaction that you had after the race that you think is special. Oh my goodness. I mean, honestly, yeah, I didn't know. Um, I had chatted with a few of the other, I guess, kind of, um, women who were asked to be on that panel for Black Canyons the day before the race. But Keely was actually someone I didn't get a chance to say hi to or officially introduce myself to. So I would say the first like real in-depth conversation was in those final like nine miles out on the trail on Saturday. And it it was so amazing because she came up to me and um, excuse my swearing, but she was like, fuck you are crushing it and I was like holy shit like thanks Keely yeah I don't I mean yeah this is an insane day because so many of the women out there I mean we had been trading the lead all day long and so she came by I went back by her she came back by this this was all in the final like nine to ten miles and so but every interaction was just I mean she was so nice so encouraging just so like she was offering me tips. I kept saying like, I better go by here on some of the uphills because you're going to get me on the downs, Uh which is really where I was struggling out there all day. Just with the technical, like I tripped at least 10 times and went down just fully superwoman, like on the ground. So anytime there was an uphill, I was like, okay, I mean, this is, I need to get some time here. And then sure enough, she came right back by me on one of the downs. Um, and she's like, let's just run together for a bit. And so I feel so bad because she had a pacer with her who I was like, Whoa, this girl looks legit. She's like this tiny little professional runner looking. And then after the race, I found out it's, it's Grayson. And I'm like, Oh my God, I was running with the two of them. Like it was so cool for me. I mean, just I've raced triathlon for 15 years and had maybe two races where I'm actually like battling with people. And this, you know, my second trail run and I'm just like sharing miles with Keely at the end there. I was with Ida earlier. Um, Do you have an appreciation of just how unusual that is in ultra trail racing? I mean, that was an instant classic competition. That's insane. That's what Keely said after as well. She was like, you don't understand because in my mind, I'm like, wow, this is crazy. This is just standard. Mm -hmm. Like every trail race is going to be just down to the wire, down to literally the final few miles. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this from a lot of people since you've been more in the trail running scene, but things are advancing and the professional ranks of the sport are improving, becoming more and more competitive. And now we are seeing a lot more of these dramatic finishes, but it really did come down to the wire between you and Keeley. It makes me also interested, I'm sure in your triathlon career, you developed a intimate familiarity with the other women that you were competing against at all these different races. How familiar were you with Keeley and Ida and more generally with the professional women's field? Are you, do you know who the characters are that you're competing against? Oh my goodness. I mean, I literally just over the last like three or four months, I would say I've been like kind of studying the sport a bit more or, or kind of diving into different races or results. So a bit, um, but not obviously not by any means, um, as well as I know my triathlon competitors. And so, um, yeah, I didn't really know the black Canyons field that well, to be honest. Um, I guess my, the most in depth was my Havelina competitors who I was able to meet and, uh, talk with after. And so I knew Casey, uh, fellow Hoka runner coming into this one. I knew she would be here, but only because I had met her at Havelina. So, um, yeah, it was definitely one of those, I think, like you're saying, you start to learn your competitors, even just the races are so long out there. I, even a few hours in, you start to see what type of runner they are, where they're going to excel and, and you're struggling. So, um, like Ida, similarly to Keely in the final 10 miles earlier in the, in the day, mile 20 to 30, we're, we were going back and forth again with the ups and the downs or the technical sections or not. So it's just, it's so crazy how, yeah, you share those miles with competitors, you learn them quickly and then quickly like seeing them at race after race, maybe you start to know that coming into races. So that's kind of exciting for me. <laughs> yeah. And you'll see many of them again at Western States in a few months. So we'll come back around to talking about Black Canyon in a little bit. But one of the things that you and I have in common is that we come from a team sport background during the broadcast <laughs> at Black Canyon. Corinne was talking about your experience in ice hockey. And so I figured this would be fun to discuss briefly, sort of what are your some of your favorite memories from those days as an ice hockey player and in what ways has it built the foundation from which you've built this amazing endurance sport career? Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I always, it's so funny. I mean, I've been in triathlon now for so long and now trail running both kind of more individual sports, but I still feel like I've always kind of identified as that hockey player. Even I played soccer as well. Um, pretty competitively all the way through high school, almost into college as well. It's, but yeah, I mean, I think that team aspect, that like camaraderie out there, it's about like connecting with your your teammates and having those friendships and having those experiences that you'll always remember over, I guess, individual results, individual efforts. I've always kind of loved those. So even in, um, you have it less so in triathlon, but even more so in the two trail races I've done now, I feel like I have that more in 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 trail running in terms of like, I shared those miles with Keely and I'll remember that probably the most of the whole trail race. So for me, it's just fun. It's like, it is a competition. I'm very, very competitive. I always have been, but I also am like, I'm there for the day and the experience and I know what I'll remember. And I remember my ice hockey days, like it was yesterday and different, you know, experiences with teammates, but, um, yeah, it's that, those sort of adventures out there that 
are, yeah, what I try to like, what I look forward to and what's exciting about some of these events. Yeah. So in this big professional transition from triathlon to off-road pursuits, it feels like it's a huge sort of personal metamorphosis for you. And I'm sure it also feels like a clean slate, a new beginning, and there's a lot of freedom and joy in that probably. Is there any part of you that's sort of grieving the end of your triathlon career? That's a good question. I, to be perfectly honest, no. And I think (laughs) just the two trail um, events I've, I've taken part in now. And then some of these gravel races that I was able to do last year, um, has really helped me with this transition, but at this in just the true enjoyment of, of these kind of new and different challenges. Um, and now that like, it's actually happening, like 2023 season is here. It's, I couldn't be more excited to even dive deeper into training preparation and going after some of these bigger events I'm targeting. So, um, when it was happening, like last season, I guess, midsummer heading into Kona, um, knowing I was going to announce that it would be my final Kona kind of putting that like final statement of like, this is it. That was really tough. It was, it was this weird yeah, it's this weird time frame where you're putting an end to it. And I, I made that decision my, myself and my husband, Wadi, who's been there through it all of saying, okay, this is how I want to end it, no matter how Kona goes down. And it, it sucks. I didn't have a great Kona. I got sick uh, about a week out with the travel over. Um, but it is what it is. And it's, I, I, I don't want to be that athlete that kept saying, okay, just one more, just one more. Like I mm. knew I was lo- not losing the passion for Kona, but Kona's shifting a bit. Actually, this will be the last year for yeah. women to be there. Ironman and long course triathlon is shifting in general. And that's fine. The sport's growing, it's changing. Um, that's neither good or bad. But for me personally, as someone who has targeted Kona, someone who has had set goals in that sport, I feel okay saying, I know what I've accomplished there. I'm proud of it. Um, but I also have these other goals and dreams that I've, I've looked at for a while and just, I I still feel I have a a shot to go after some of these goals and I want to do it while maybe that's still possible. So, and now being in it just a few months in where I'm like, I'm like, this is great. This was really the best decision for me. I'm so happy right now and I'm so motivated. And so if you had asked me that last August, September, I probably would have maybe taken it a different route, but yeah. right now I have no, I'm yeah. No couldn't regrets. Be more well, you yeah. accomplished so much. <laughs> I was watching some of your YouTube videos and in the video that you guys made where you sort of were talking about this transition, you were saying something to the effect of that. One of the things that motivates you is to just kind of like show the world that you don't necessarily need to remain on a defined path and that there's no one way to do things. And I feel like you're very much living that philosophy now. Can you maybe comment on that freedom and joy that you're feeling by carving a new path? Oh, I appreciate that because that's literally my husband, Wani, I discuss it all the time. It's, I just think that you can get in this kind of routine. And I was in a routine for 10 years straight. I mean, you do the same races, the same routine, the same training, the same sort of schedule. And maybe that's not always the best thing. I mean, maybe something else will make you happier, fulfill you more, or, um, 
even get better performance out of yourself or better overall, whatever it is you're searching for or trying to reach. And um, yeah, I think it it was one of those things. We have this new kind of tagline we're trying to just share with everyone this year of like, what are you waiting for? Because for me, I just felt like I was waiting for that next thing or waiting to make the transition or waiting for something to happen versus just being like, no, this is excites me. This is what I want to try. I'm I'm going to do it. Um, and actually taking that step and it's scary. It's it, whether it's a new career, a new, whatever it is, I'm moving to a new place, um, trying a new sport. I mean, it's, yeah, it's scary to step out of routine when you have say that comfort or that security, whatever it is, but, um, sometimes it could even lead to better things. And so, um, yeah, in the moment, yeah, it can be terrifying, but I'm, yeah, I'm what so are you glad. waiting for. I yeah, love it. <laughs> it makes me want to ask too, because these are sort of like crucible moments in our lives when you make that big change. And sometimes in those moments, an opportunity materializes that you're not expecting or the universe just sort of opens up once you take the first step in that new direction. Are there any examples of that, of like something serendipitous happening once you made this new commitment to yourself? Um, oh, good question. I mean, I guess for me, just for me as someone who identified as a triathlete, I have all these sponsors behind me that it is technically my career. I was pretty nervous about just saying, listen, telling my sponsors and my partners, I wanted to go a new way and a new, I I guess I had tied my identity to that sport. And I feel so beyond grateful. All of my partners were like, this is amazing. Like we want to continue supporting you. And so it's this like positive energy snowball effect of like all my partners have stayed with me. They're even more excited as well. And in the moment you're scared to tell them or make the change, but in then in, in the follow-up, everyone is so excited for you. Like everyone wants the best for you is there to support you. And for me, it was this like, just eye-opening, like, wow, I I can do some of these other things I want to try. And it's, yeah, it's not a bad thing. It shouldn't be a scary thing. So that was kind of this like positive, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm sure that was not a foregone conclusion. I'm sure you could have gone to your partners like Hoka and said, Hey, you know, I'm transitioning away from triathlon and your sponsorship was probably tied up in a triathlon budget more or less. And it would have been easy for them to say, all right, Hey, you know, best of luck and whatever's next, but for them to stick by you and recognize the brand value for them in this, you know, transformation of your athletic career, I think is intelligent. And, and maybe that is one of those serendipitous things where the universe just gives you a a new opportunity. I uh, just a, a quick story follow up on that it yeah. literally in I was in Kona at Hoka always has an athlete uh athlete gathering athlete signing um about two to three days before Kona at the parade of nations and I was literally at the Hoka signing just standing there talking with Mike McManus who has supported me in triathlon for eight years now and all we were talking about was trail running he didn't even bring up Kona <laughs> in the race in two days he was talking about Havelina and how I had to be there to come check it out awesome <laughs> I was like I was so excited for that two days before Kona 
over the actual Iron Man I had. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, shout out Mike McManus. Yeah, I've known oh, him yeah. for a long time too. And he's obviously a, a great supporter of all the phenomenal trail running athletes on the Hoka team as well. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Best Day Brewing. Dry January is over, but your boy is staying disciplined with his alcohol consumption or lack thereof. Not exaggerating, this is one of the biggest focuses of my life right now to reduce my overall alcohol intake as a dad, as an athlete, as a small business owner. Every day is just filled to the brim with important responsibilities that deserve and require my full attention. And I have noticed that I just do not operate with the same focus or with the same energy when I'm drinking, even just one or two nights a week. I have to say also my mood and attitude are so much worse when I'm on the booze also. As such, I've been making a huge effort to reduce my consumption and my goodness, do I feel so much better. And that's where Best Day Brewing comes in. I can still enjoy the ritual of a cold beer without the alcohol that so compromises my performance both on and off the trails. Best Day is brewed for doers like you and me. I'm sure there are many listeners who find themselves in the same position as me. You don't have to fully abstain, but let's hold each other accountable to reduce our alcohol intake in 2023. Visit bestdaybrewing.com and enjoy their selection of delicious craft brews and have your best day yet. Bestdaybrewing.com. Tell them Free Trail sent you. Tom Evans and I again talked yesterday and he said something that I thought was kind of powerful that I'd love to maybe get your two cents on as somebody who's been a professional athlete for a long time. He said that you can't let the wins go to your head or the losses go to your heart. And I wondered if maybe you could share an example of where you had to learn that the hard way, because obviously it's much easier said than done, not letting the wins go to your head or the losses go to your heart. Is there an example of one or the other? my goodness. Yeah. I love that quote. Such a good one for sure. Um, I guess my, my mind immediately goes to the, the losses and not performing well, or like that side of things where I remember early, early on in my triathlon career, I had just gotten some new sponsors, um, just entering in. I think it was a first or second year pro. And I, I didn't, fully understand, I think, how sponsorship worked at the time. And I remember I, I um, went to a race and I ended up having, it was actually over in Abu Dhabi. I got really, really sick and I had to end up dropping out of the race, but I literally was on the side of the road crying. My husband, now husband Wadi was there and I was like, oh, my sponsors are going to leave. Like they're, they're gone. I can't believe I just ruined it in my first, like my first try. It was my first races as a pro. And it was just that like, you don't perform that you know, nobody wants anything to do with you. You're going to get dropped. Um, and then that obviously carried on through a lot of my career of like, you have one bad performance and you think that's all people are seeing. That's all people care about. And that's it. And the whole statement of, yeah, like your identity is not tied up in wins or losses. It's like, um, your overall, just how you leave a mark on whatever community you're in and how you deal with those. I mean, a lot of times people respond more to the tough days out there. And then when you come back from some of those tough moments, tough times, tough blocks, coming back from an injury, people want to root for you even more because I mean, everyone loves an underdog. Everyone loves someone coming back from a hurdle or something they have to overcome. And so I think over year after year, just, you know, re-seeing that in triathlon um, of, yeah, 
Like it's not your results. Those don't define you at all. I mean, people care about you as a human and they want to see you succeed in the goals you're going after. But along the way, there are going to be, you know, downs, ups and downs. And that's, that's life that we're living. And that's especially sport. (laughs) No kidding. So I want to talk about gravel with you because both trail running and gravel racing are experiencing exponential growth right now. And you've very intentionally stated that you want to have exposure to both of these new unique worlds. I know you raced unbound last year, which is effectively like the Western States of gravel racing. (laughs) If you could just talk about that experience and anything about the gravel racing community that sticks out in your mind with this sort of like, uh, fresh exposure that you've had so far? Yeah, no, the gravel, the gravel and the trail running, both two arenas I've been just wanting to really kind of dive into and and be a part of and go to different events. And I was able to go to Unbound last year, um, 200 mile gravel race in Emporia, Kansas. And what stuck out there is we got there in the few days leading up to the race. And it reminded me of how Ironman and Kona used to be 10 to 15 years ago, just so grassroots. The whole town came out. The town was shut down. Everyone was so excited to be there. You have people of all athletic abilities with their different type of bikes from the most high end expensive bikes out there to literally just like mountain bikes from their garage from the 1980s. So, um, yeah, it's like, it it was, took me back to my early days in triathlon. It got me so excited. And then similarly, like out on course, you have people just, again, all abilities, cheering everyone on, excited to be out there, just out riding, um, on dirt roads. And so it was really, really cool. And that, that event alone made me be like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to be at more of these. I'd really love to check it out. Does it feel like there's a symbiosis in the trail community and the gravel community? Is it a similar person that's attracted to those different objectives? I think so. I think, yeah, I think a little bit more kind of, I mean, you still have, I guess the cyclist, the cyclist in the gravel world, um, up at the front who like, you're more used to riding in a Peloton. I think that's kind of separating maybe the front packs of some of these gravel races. Cause that can be scary. I mean, I was petrified at the start of some of these. Um, but at the end of the day, it is someone who is looking for new adventures, getting off busy roads, um, people who just want to go out with friends and ride similarly on the trail scene, like, okay, we're going to go do this trail race together, share miles out on amazing trails together. So I do see a crossover. I think, um, the running scene, it's so easy, not so easy to do a trail race. It's easy. You get a pair of shoes, some gear and maybe go try a trail race. I think the bike side can be a little bit more in depth. Maybe people scared to they don't know where to start with say a gravel bike or mountain bike or, um, equipment wise. Um, but I think it's similar personalities for sure. And I think there's going to be more and more crossover, um, potentially. I mean, (laughs) it's so exciting. I mean, just thinking about how you could potentially be competitive in both unbound and Western States three weeks apart. I mean, (laughs) 
clearly you're up there with world-class ultra trail runners already, and you'll be competing on the world's biggest stage at Western States in June. But three weeks before that, you'll also be at Unbound. And I know that last year you were in the mix before you experienced some mechanicals. Do you feel like you can and want to be competitive at the highest level in both sports? Do you think that's possible? (laughs) I knew this question was coming. I... I do. I mean, I'm, I do believe I could, I think I have a bit of a, um, I mean, I've been biking and running now. So in my triathlon career, so I have that, I guess, background. Um, I think a race like unbound, that's the race I'm targeting. That's, um, one of the ones that I, I'm most excited about. And it's longer. I think the longer events, um, are really do suit me better than maybe some of the shorter ones. I'm, I'm actually participating in the, the whole lifetime grand prix series this year, but unbound specifically it's 200 miles. It's anywhere from a 10, 11, 12 hour days, depending on condition, that sort of, I think time frame for me, um, excites me. Yeah. It's, it's not only a race, but it's, you have to be, it's like an Ironman. You have to get over so many things out there, mechanicals, flats, um, and push all day long. I mean, lead similarly to this past weekend at black canyons, like leads could shift all day long. It's such a long day out there. And and those sort of adventures, those sort of all day, like battle till the end, um, that excites me. So, um, yeah, the unbound Western States is my, I guess, Kona of this year, that double and seeing what I can do at both. And, um, yeah, I'm petrified, but I'm also, yeah. I'm going to be more motivated. Right. <laughs> so as a triathlete, would you say that, because I watched your Unbound video from last year and you're like, fuck swimming. <laughs> and <laughs> you, I think I may be mistaken here, but you're probably known in the professional triathlon ranks as being a strong bike runner, right? So like, would you characterize those as your strongest disciplines in the three disciplines of triathlon? Oh yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Okay. So you're, no you're, <laughs> you're sort of like perfectly suited to compete well at both of them. So maybe let's talk about using the bike in training and specifically for trail running. Obviously you still spend a lot of time on the bike and you need to, in order to be competitive at these gravel races, but I'd love to hear you talk about how you use the bike the balance of volume and intensity and how it supports your run performance specifically? Yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't changed much from the triathlon training that I've done now for forever, um, at least leading into black canyons. And that's primarily because I feel like the bike, it, for me, it adds on so much aerobic work, so much cardio, so much just general overall fitness to the running that um, I don't need to just go out and run, you know, however many more miles than now that I'm technically just biking and running um, and possibly risk injury um, versus using the biking that I've already done for so long to, I guess, just enhance the running. So for instance, like my big days, I'll go out on a Saturday and ride five, six, seven hours and then run off. And when you run off the bike, I mean, your legs are so tired from riding the bike for six hours that essentially 
you do an hour runoff or two hours runoff, that's like you're running from hours six to eight at Black Canyons. Yeah. So um, your legs are as maybe not as thrashed as if you ran six hours, but they are tired and you're running on tired legs. And when I'm in Black Canyons, um, you know, going through hour five, hour six, in my mind, it's like, okay, you're getting off the bike in Kona. It's like, now you have the marathon. Yeah. Um, you have two hours left to run. So it's more a time frame, um, mental, I guess, approach to the running side that, um, of continuing to use the bike and training. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a revolutionary thing in trail running. This is what we would call a brick session in triathlon, right? So maybe provide, if you want to, just maybe a specific example of a workout you did prior to Black Canyon where you did a run off the bike. Because I know you did at least a couple where you sort of tempoed off the bike as well. And I wondered, I mean, that could be something that revolutionizes uh, <laughs> trail running training. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, a standard, uh, a standard runoff usually in triathlon or in triathlon training is, um, just about teaching your legs to come around as quickly as possible at race pace. And so for instance, like if you could do a hard bike ride, so here in Tucson on Saturdays, there's a massive group ride. It's called the shootout. It goes anywhere from 80 miles, 90 miles. A lot of people add on at the end. I think I did a hundred and almost 30 mile ride. Um, it was like six and a half hours and I came back and I went straight onto the treadmill and the treadmill can help you get your leg cadence up really fast, especially coming off riding where maybe they're heavy, they're tired, but you can't hide on a treadmill. So you hop right on the treadmill and put it right to level. I think it was like 9.5 or six, six thirties minute miles building down to six minute pace. Basically, yeah, 30 minute runoff trying to get down to that six minute pace and just like hold there. So, uh, 30 minutes and then 10 minute cool down, hop off. So just an example brick workout. Um, but you take note for triathlon of when your legs quote unquote come around or start to feel okay. And as you do more and more brick workouts, then they start to come around 10 minutes in eight minutes in five minutes in, and yeah. that's what you're looking for. Um, again, in a triathlon, yeah. you don't need that in trail running, but <laughs> Yeah, you get a seven plus hour training day in where only 30 minutes maybe is at high impact on the treadmill. So, right. man, I think it's a really interesting way to train. And, and you know, obviously it's paid off in your early career as a trail runner at Avelina <laughs> and at Flat Canyon. Now you just need to get used to those, you know, 12 to 17 hour type efforts for the races that you have coming up. So... <laughs> Um, I was watching some of your training prior to Black Canyon. You made a video about sort of some uh, tempo efforts that you were doing, chasing some Strava segments around your home in Arizona. It struck me as a fairly novel approach to training rather than having a specific, you know, four by 10 minute tempo type workout. You just identified three different segments of various lengths and just chased them, trying to get the Strava CRs. Talk about that approach. Yeah. I mean, it was this, the segments weren't random that I found on Strava. I had the workout in mind that I wanted to do, but I've been trying to do them more, I guess what I assume trail runners do, and that's on hilly terrain or dirt roads. And so for me, it's this whole new, like 
new world here in Tucson because we have this flat bike path. It's over a hundred miles long. And a lot of my triathlon training is just down there on the path, eight by one milers, um, 45 minute tempo efforts, all on these flat roads that are very, you know, in tune to Ironman racing, Mm -hmm. but in trail running, I'm like, ah, we're going to be going uphill or downhill. So I have gone on Strava now to like, and looked up some local trail runners or trails. And I'm like, okay, here are some trails or roads they run um, on dirt. And so let's do those instead. And so for me, it's really transitioning from the, that I like on road racing to like, okay, let's, I need to be running hills and I need to also be running. I learned very quickly after Havelina about running downhill and how badly that beats up your quads. So trying to work some of those in as well. And then, um, just finding some, well, it wasn't as technical as it needed to have been ready for at Black Canyons, but uh, we have some trails here in Tucson that are single track dirt, but not. After Black Canyons, I was like, I really need to work on my technical skill. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Like, how much time have you devoted to technical skill development? Because obviously, competition is second nature to you. Your aerobic fitness is world-class from your career as a triathlete. So kind of the biggest determining factor of your success is probably that technical skill development. How much intention have you put into that? Yeah, not not really any, actually. I mean, I've been running trails. So back to the the workout I I shared on my YouTube, it it was a tempo effort up a single track trail here in Tucson, but it was, it was dirt and sand. And it was similar to what we experienced at Havelina, but um, Black Canyons was nothing compared to Havelina or opposite of Havelina. So um, I'm walking away from Black Canyons, just being like, okay, there are trails here that I know of. Um, There are some crazy technical over on Mount Lemon. There's one behind our house here at Finger Rock Trail. So there is there are those areas that I'm super grateful Tucson has that I can practice on. But um I probably yeah, I need to definitely need to work on that. I I, I got behind both Keely and Eda out there and was just watching them. I mean they were pulling away immediately, but mm. just their footing, where they how they keep their cadence up, landing, everything. It was yeah, amazing to watch. <laughs> Do you have a coach currently? Do you have anybody who's sort of helping you with your training? Or are you really embodying this experimentation <laughs> approach and learning on your own? I'm really just embracing it on my own right now. Um, I've had just been so grateful to work with so many amazing coaches over the last 15 years. And I have some definitely some uh, training, I guess, principles that I have found that work for me in triathlon. And I find myself going back to that here with trail running and my focus on gravel racing. And so, um, I'm kind of, yeah, putting it together myself. I I reach out here and there to past coaches or friends just for some advice or input, um, or thoughts, but, um, I've always been an athlete that responds better to quality over quantity. So again, back to, I haven't just started piling on super high volume, um, but keeping up that speed. I've always been a, an athlete that needs that speed work and mm. even going into an Ironman, you know, I'm doing mile repeats or kilometer repeats over some of these just like longer, um, efforts. So yeah. staying with that 
currently. Um, I obviously have to build volume up for the, yeah. the long runs for sure. But it, re- it reminds me, Heather, I think I listened to a podcast with you as a guest years ago at this point where you said something to the effect of that you really prefer the super high end VO2 max work to the longer tempo efforts. Is that still the case? And what is the emphasis of the training maybe just before Black Canyon? Was it more upper end stuff or was it more the threshold tempo stuff? Um, yeah, a hundred percent of what I enjoy more is the hard, short VO2. Just, really? I just love it. I don't know why. I just love going out running as hard as I can. And oh, I hate and- that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But that being said, I know, I know you also need the tempo work. You need the long, the long work as well. So I built speed. I built short efforts all winter. So I was in bend all December. Um, I did a lot of short reps a lot of treadmill work, a lot of uphill, just 15% incline on the treadmill, one minute all out up it um, over and over to build strength, build the speed. And then when I got down to here in Tucson, about five weeks out from Black Canyons, I turned my Sunday runs into longer with tempo, but also still um, some speed in there. So speed first or hill reps first. Um, The workout, I we were just talking about sharing, I mean, either a mile or two mile effort and then into a tempo or hill reps into a tempo. Um, so kind of combining on those longer days. So you get a little bit of everything you're going to have on race day. Um, and then similarly during the week, I was keeping in some of that quality work. Um, but just trying to get the overall volume up a little bit to, to be ready. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for that insight. So let's go back to talking about Black Canyon. Now we released a cool highlight video from the race and it shows you early on sort of giggling and speculating whether you were on suicide pace, I think was the the words that you used. (laughs) And in your two ultra marathons that you've run, you've raced with like a very brave, aggressive style and you're still very inexperienced in ultra marathon racing, though you've been performing at a very high level. Talk about the race management and the strategy side of things. I, okay. So Havelina first trail race, I had no idea what to do. I just went out what felt to me like a Sunday long run with a couple friends here in, in uh, Tucson. I, I've done some of my Sunday runs with fellow, with friend Ben Hoffman, fellow triathlete. And so some of those guys up front at Havelina, I was like, Oh my God, it's like, I'm out running with Hoff right now. Like super fun. This is, it feels fine. And I, I race, I've raced both trail races, but I've always raced triathlon by feel. So I have my watch on, I have everything on, but I don't look at it during a race. And so I only look at it for timing, for fueling. Um, but like racing just by feel, um, yeah, Havelina came back to bite me later on, uh, for sure. But Black Canyons, I came in thinking I was actually felt okay through, 100k at Havelina. So I didn't want to change too much. Mm-hmm. I also was like don't go out too hard. Everyone was warning about the downhill early on that can beat you up for later. So yeah. I was like very aware of that, but I was still like this feels fine. This feels fine. Yeah. <laughs> so very much by feel. I raced by feel. Um any yeah. learnings from the two events though? I mean, obviously you led through about 85 miles at Havelina, ultimately faded a little bit, but you were super strong through 
100 K mm-hmm. at black Canyon. Well under, I mean, under the existing course record. So looking ahead towards Western States and strategically as you're learning, obviously that's going to be a hundred mile type effort, but is there part of you who second guesses the aggressive strategy or do you feel like you're, you're kind of doing it in the right way? <laughs> because I mean, the, the reason I ask Heather is because I've been in the sport for a long time. Right. And it's a fairly new phenomenon to where these like super, you know, front running style athletes are sort of coming into the sport and obviously it can lead to spectacular performance, but also it can lead to spectacular implosion. But as the sport is developing, professionalizing, becoming more and more competitive with such talented athletes, you almost need to take those types of risks in order to land on the podium or have a chance of winning. So I wonder just like how you've been thinking about the strategy element, knowing that you have big goals in the sport, I love how you just sort of stick your nose in it, but obviously it comes with big risks. I mean, yeah, totally, totally agree with all you're saying. I guess literally from the most basic explanation, I still don't understand how you would pace one of these races when it's so up and down and so technical and so like you don't know what's ahead of you at the different points in the race, like if that makes sense. So in Kona, I know what the front runners are running. The front girls are running 250, 251 marathons. You have to hold a 642 pace. So in my training, I know that I need to run a 642 mile pace or below to be up there with those front women. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's very, it's easy to know what you need to run, but every single trail run is so different that like I had, I have no idea like how, yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, I don't know what tra- what you guys do. Yeah. Like, okay, I need to hold this pace. So I'm going to go out at the start at this pace, but at the start, you could be running seven minute miles and then you're climbing a hill. It's 11 minute miles. So it's, oh. yeah, I don't know for me it again. And that's why it's, it's by feel. Um, and yeah. <laughs> well, it's exciting. And I mean, in your two ultra marathon performances, you've provided a ton of entertainment for trail fans. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just think that it'll be interesting to see you continue to learn as a trail athlete. And I mean, bringing the pedigree that you have and the experience that you have, there's, there's no reason to change a strategy that feels like it's working. And yeah, I think trusting your intuition is probably the best way to go. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, was wondering if you were feeling as if this, I mean, because it's brave too, Heather, like you're coming into a sport with people who have a lot more experience than you and like going hot off the start against like Keely Henninger and Eda Nilsson, who are legends in our sport. Right. And so it does take a certain personality to have that confidence to sort of take the lead early, even if you are sort of trusting your intuition and feel like you're on a sustainable pace. Anyway, <laughs> I don't mean those athletes, any disrespect of at all. I, did, I don't yeah. mean that at all with the start for me. It's literally like, yeah, just, I guess the competitive nature too. I mean, I grew up playing ice hockey with boys through high school. So boys, girls, I mean, any non-binary and anyone, when the gun goes off and someone's going like I'm going with them at the start. And so <laughs> uh, at least the both of the trail races that, 
I've been in now, that's just been my reaction. Like, okay, there everyone goes, I'm, I need to go now. So that was, um, yeah, just the start it. And then you kind of settle in and it's like, okay, find your own pace, find your own rhythm. How does this feel? Um, like, where's the lead? I mean, I was still, yeah, yeah. it's more just, like I said earlier, by feel, I don't know. I, I'm sure there will be a mass implosion coming at some event for sure. <laughs> yep. It happens. It definitely happens. The Fruitro Podcast is brought to you by the Gnarly Nutrition Baseline Series. You may be wondering, is iron supplementation for you? Iron is essential for oxygen transportation in your body. Endurance athletes, women, and plant-based athletes are particularly vulnerable to iron deficiencies. And Gnarly Nutrition makes hitting your baseline iron needs easy with the Gnarly Baseline Iron Plus. More than your typical iron supplement, Gnarly's Iron Plus has blood-boosting nutrients like vitamin B12, folate, and vitamin C for improved iron absorption. Similarly, vitamin D is known for its role in bone health, immune and muscle function, and inflammatory response. But lifestyle factors like decreased sunlight in winter months make vitamin D deficiency a worldwide issue, something I recently learned. Gnarly Baseline D3 is a natural plant-based vitamin, a simple vegan-friendly product that will ensure you're training on a solid foundation. To check out the Iron Plus and the Gnarly Vitamin D3, visit gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. So there was an astute observation in the broadcast that I wanted to bring up, and that is just with aid station transitions. So somebody in the chat was just commenting that your experience with triathlon were... Uh, the transition between swim and bike and bike and run are pretty critical moments in the race. And it's become the case where in trail running, those aid station transitions, those crew checkpoints are oftentimes where critical separation happens. So I'm wondering if maybe you could just talk about the strategy you employ in those transitions. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I have so many transition and aid station stories. Oh my goodness. I mean, to your question on the the transitions or, or aid, yeah, aid stations in trail running. Um I have Alina. I think we were a little disorganized. Um, and then coming into Black Canyons, it was like, okay, this is very similar to triathlon where this can make or break your race. Um, at Havelina, Casey actually passed me on the final, like in the finish shoot, basically the final, like 500 yards to go. Mm. And I was like, there are so many moments at the different aid stations that I could have, those were those seconds. So I came into black canyons, like we need to nail these. And I've always been that way in transition in triathlon where I literally, I look at splits after races to see how I compared to competitors, but I always check transitions because in triathlon, you can gain, that's your, that could be your race. And mm -hmm. so we came into Black Canyon similarly, like dialed, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This, 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 and out. Um, and so, yeah, I do have that, I guess, experience from triathlon to tell a quick side stories compared to some of the gravel discussions going on because the aid stations are a big discussion in gravel mm -hmm. and in black canyons, I'm like replaying the race over and over in my head still from last weekend. But 
Keely and I were together coming down into that final aid station where there's like three miles to go. And there was a slight downhill and she pulled away a little bit. She had a little bit of a gap and we're coming into the aid station. I'm like, is she stopping? And I was dying at that point. I was out of water, out of everything. I I was like, okay, I need water, but is she going to skip? Are we skipping in the spirit of ultra trail? Are we skipping aid station? Yes. And I'm looking back. She didn't. So I'm like, okay, I I, maybe I can get back up to her right now. And I came in and I handed my bottle in and she looked over and like was gone. I mean, she had already filled and I was like, oh my God, I I should just leave. I need to leave right now. But I needed that water. I knew there was a chance if I didn't take it, it could, I might not even make it in. I was so thirsty. So it's one of those things like, is it going to become a thing where, yeah, yeah. how are eight stations played? <laughs> I mean, it's it's so true. And that's a fantastic anecdote, fly on the wall experience for all of us who are following throughout the day. Maybe, yeah, to just add a little bit more color to the race itself. We talked about how you and Ida and Keely eventually sort of established yourselves as the race leaders and the trifecta who would be competing for the win. It seems like, I mean, at black Canyon city, you all three exited basically together. And I just want to reemphasize just how impressive it was and how rare it is that that happens. And so if there's any other sort of anecdotes that you can add about the swapping of the leads where sort of some of the other separation was happening because you also came through the 50 mile aid station basically together before Ida eventually faded a little bit, but any experiences you can share of the three of you guys competing out on the course, I'm sure the audience would love to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think early on, I remember, um, Ida got up to me I want to say it would it was it would have been before the first uh crew aid station before um Bumblebee. Bumblebee, yeah. that's it. Yeah, exactly. So the first bit of the race is pretty wide open, kind of it there is some single track, but not too crazy, a lot of fire road. Um, and so then there was this crazy, it was the most amazing trail I've ever run on before. Just back and forth, cut through this like ledge area and a lot of ups and downs into this kind of downhill. And that's where Ida got up to me initially. And I was like, what just, she came by, I'm like, you can go by. I don't want to hold you up because I could just see her on the downhills, like crushing it. And that was my first example of like, okay, just follow her and try to learn in this moment, like use this moment in the race right now to, to learn from one of the best, because I was yeah, the downhill um, and footing and it was, yeah, I knew immediately was going to be my weakness on mm-hmm. the day. So that being said, it was like, for me, again, I approached the running and the, the similar to the gravel of like, okay, don't lose the wheel. Don't lose the wheel is what I kept saying in my head, meaning stay with her. Don't let her drop you, like stay in her draft, like you're on a bike basically. So yeah. I was just following behind her, trying to stay with her. Um through that first section. Um, and then I, I can't remember when the first uphill was, but on the uphill is where I noticed I was like, okay, I, I'm going to go back by. Um, and there was this crazy back and forth area where, um, you're like, you can see down below you a little bit of like, and I could see she's still there, but it's this crazy, like you're still running with someone in this 62 mile long race mm-hmm. of, 
which again, like I mentioned earlier with Iron Man, never really happens. It's like to be that close all day long. And so, um, yeah, coming into Bumblebee, the first one, I also had to go to the bathroom really bad. And I was like, I had to go to the bathroom and um, I wanted to change shoes because I started in some road racing shoes, um, yeah. <laughs> which I'm still sorting those out. I'm so used to my my Hoka race flats from road racing. Um, just that. Yeah. So for me, it was OK. This I need a little bit better grip out here. I wanted to change shoes. I knew the bathroom, but I wanted to make sh- sure I knew if Ida was still behind or in front of me. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed what I needed as quickly as I could. And I was like shouting at my husband and um, my crew, Robbie and Paul, like, can you let me know if she's through? Can you let me know if she's through? Just so I had an idea. Um, got out of Bumblebee, that middle stretch into, um, what's the next Black one? Black Canyon, Canyon City. That's, That's where, where I saw you guys exit the aid station together. And it was the first time that Ida had sort of like pulled ahead of you, at least that we had seen as observers of the race. And then Keely was just on your guys's wheel there. So yeah. Any other color you can add? Yeah. That black Canyons one is uh aid station is a, is, um, in a crazy one because you run a mile in and then a mile out. So you can see where you are and you can see competitors and, and different people. And so it, the, we were definitely, we were up there, but Meg, I remember seeing, uh, Meg, I remember seeing, um, actually three or four more women coming at us while we were going out. So, and I didn't have, I didn't, wasn't thinking enough to take a split or look at my watch or anything. So I just knew there were seven, eight, nine of us all somewhat, um, within each other's. Yeah close and and there was still so much more to go so it's like yeah th- it's this is a race <laughs> that's what i remember thinking <laughs> so you sort of described the moment of separation between you and keely at the end but there was also that exciting moment coming into the mile 50 aid station whose name i can't recall right now where i think ida was in the lead and you guys caught up from behind before she ultimately faded back to a fourth place finish but i'd love to hear any anecdotes from that little episode also, if you remember. Yeah. Coming into the final, I think it's table Mesa, um, table station Mesa. At 50, yeah. we all kind of came together about three miles out from that. And there was a lead change, like every little bit, like it was, yeah, Ida came by me and then Keely came by me and then there was a hill and I went back by Ida and then I think Keely had the lead coming into um, Table Mesa and Keely, I mean, sorry, Ida was behind me at that point. We we're all very, very close. And I made the decision again to change shoes one last time um, and partly to have um, really bigger trail sole with, I pulled on my Hoka Speed Goats, mm-hmm. but also because we had just done a river crossing and my shoes were just soaking wet and filled with sand and I was like, okay, you like, you can get in and out of them quick. I have speed laces that I use in triathlon. So it wasn't going to be too crazy, but it was also like, okay, this is, there's three of us together right now, more are coming and there's 11 miles to go. So it's, it's like game time. So I was like, those two got out ahead of me of, um, transition, but I was like, okay, time, time to like 
bring it down if you can, obviously yeah. <laughs> that late in a race, it's so hard, but <laughs> so cool. And yeah, just so impressive and so great for the sport to see such high level of competition and matched with a fantastic broadcast. It kept us all super inspired throughout the course oh of the day. Oh my goodness. I got so many uh, notes after saying how good the coverage was like so much better than any triathlon. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. So in your post-race evaluation, I'm sure you've had some time to think about it. Again, you're very inexperienced. That was only your second ultra marathon. You have a big future ahead for you. Are there any top line takeaways, learnings from the race that you want to share? Thanks, Dylan. Um, um, I mean, the biggest thing for me, just literally walking away, I'm like, okay, the technical, the technical skills are my biggest, like, I wanted to go to work the next day just on that to practice, but I would, I've been, I'm finally just coming around now. My quads have been so sore. I think continuing to work on the downhill running just to really toughen up the quads is going to be huge, especially for the longer ones like a Western States or the hundred milers. Um, just, yeah, they're still so thorough. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about, and look ahead towards Western States. Obviously, that's only one of the goals that you have for yourself. So maybe just sort of sketch the next couple of months for you. Where are you going to be competing across gravel and trail? And maybe if you could give us any insight into your training, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so I'm about to put in a pretty big um, cycling block. Just I... I've been cycling and running, but really was obviously focused on black canyons. And now, um, I've got probably, um, three or four bigger gravel events coming up, um, prior to unbound being my ultimate goal, which is June 3rd, three weeks ahead of Western States. Um, but I'm starting my gravel season at mid South which I know you and I chatted, you would maybe make it out to Stillwater, Oklahoma, but <laughs> I'd like to, if I could get my life organized, I would love to make it, but <laughs> it seems unlikely right now, but Mid-South yeah. again, yeah, that sort of starts the lifetime series, right? That's the season opener. Um, that one, that one, I guess is, that one's not technically in the lifetime, mm. um, series, but I think it has always kind of been one of the more season openers, at least here in North America, mm -hmm. uh, hundred mile gravel race. So that is in, I think two and a half weeks, two weeks now. So, um, hoping to get some good miles in this weekend and then get kind of back on the bike solid next week, um, heading into that. And then, um, I'm actually, let's see. The lifetime events actually start at Sea Otter, which is a mountain bike race. So yeah. I'm going to need to be getting on my Canyon mountain bike <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, And that's a shorter one too, isn't it? Like 50 miles or? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, right around 50 or 60 miles. So um, it starts there with a mountain bike race. Um, and then Unbound is the second in the lifetime Grand okay. Prix series. So I've got Mid-South added in there. I'll actually head over to um, San Diego for the San Diego BWR race, which primarily because that's where Canyon North America is headquartered out of. I'm wow. super grateful to have their support this year and be racing on Canyon Grizzle, Canyon Lux Mountain Bike, um, 
their new road bike. So super, really grateful for that support this season. Um, From San Diego, I will head up to, I think we'll head back to Bend in that timeframe. So that's the current plan. Um, and then possibly I still need to confirm with you, the gorge 50 K if I can get up to bed. <laughs> no pressure. It or, sounds like you're going to be very busy. We would uh, absolutely love to have you and you're on the start list. So yeah, just, just let me know uh, at your convenience. Yeah. I'm that's, I'm literally sitting down this week and plotting out our, our travel plan. So we do a lot of travel in our van and by that, I mean, my husband, Wadi. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's kind of the lead in again. It's, it's, there's so many cool events out there, gravel and ultra trail. And it's, I'm literally just trying to like, this always happens to triathlon too, that reel myself in and know, okay, these are the goals and work around those versus mm-hmm. kind of overwhelming myself and maybe over committing to things. Just it's so, I think could be so easy right now for me. Cause I'm just so excited about yeah. all these new opportunities. So um, well, I was so, going to say that it's so clear how much fun you're having right now. So I would just encourage <laughs> you to follow that instinct and it'll be a fantastic year either way. But it does sound like your spring is going to be especially busy <laughs> uh, with, with two major highlights in Unbound in Western States where we will all be eagerly watching you perform on the race course. Heather, it's been so fun to have you on the podcast. So I'm going to close with two philosophical questions that I've been asking people recently. The first one is who is a person that you admire? It can be a person inside of sport or outside. And why is it that you admire that person? I would say a person I admire is my husband, Wadi. He literally, I mean, he and I are opposites and I think, I think that's why it works, but I also think that's why he teaches me so much. Um, He is like, the most caring, giving, selfless, just kind, always thinking about others. Um, And for me, it's always just, I, not that I'm not that, but I'm, I've learned so much from him about just, yeah, being that sort of sensitive, caring type, like Mm. always just, yeah, I can't say enough good things about him, but I admire him so much and how hard he works. He's the hardest working person I, I know. I mean, he's, yeah, it's nonstop. You you think you're tired or tired from training or work and he's just still go, go, go. And so, yeah, every day I'm just like, wow, you amaze me every single day. So Shout out Wadi. That's great. Final question for you, Heather. You've been an athlete your whole life, soccer, hockey, triathlon, ultra running, gravel racing. What is one profound truth you've learned about yourself or life in general through your experience as an athlete? I think for me, um, one truth that I've learned through sport, it's, I feel like it's so cliche. Everyone says it's about the journey, not the results or Mm -hmm. the end, but it is, I mean, this is life we're living every single day. Like we're not going to get back today. And so every day for me, it's like, about making the most of it, of it, about enjoying it. We can be out there going after goals and working our hardest and trying to improve, but it's really in the moment that you're living every single day. And so for me, it's about, yeah, just always trying to be in the moment, living 
day to day and not planning too far ahead. You have to, obviously you have to with athletic goals, with work, with family, with friends, I mean, everything, but being very aware of where you are in the moment is so important and enjoying that and being grateful for what you have this very second. What a beautiful place to end. Heather, it's so great to have you in our sport. Thank you for taking the time to come onto the, the podcast. Thanks for having the gracious sportsmanship type mentality coming into our sport and, and really sort of, you know, uh, yeah, making a lot of new fans quickly. Good luck with everything you have coming up in the spring and we'll look forward to seeing you at Western States. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It was an honor to be on here. Thanks so much to Heather. What a champion. What a fun and likable athlete and person. It's so fun to have her in our sport. And of course, so fun to have her on the entrance list for the Western States 100, where she will provide one of the best storylines of the weekend. Let's start the prognostication now, shall we? Make sure you follow Heather if you don't already. I have links to her Instagram, her Strava, and her YouTube profiles in the show notes. So click through and give her a follow. Free Trail Pro members, as usual, let me know your thoughts about the episode. Hop in Slack and let's keep the conversation going in the Free Trail Podcast Slack channel. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsors, Speedland. Run speedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the GS Tam, Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off the best sports nutrition products in the game. Best Day Brewing, bestdaybrewing.com, use code DRY20 for 20% off these amazingly delicious non-alcoholic beers. If you need some guidance in your trail journey, of course, we would love it if you check out Free Trail Experts, where we have enlisted some amazing coaches and specialists to help make your experience in the sport even more fun, enjoyable, and successful. So follow a link in the show notes if you are in the market for coaching. That is it for now. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I love you very much. Talk soon. Bye-bye.